I'm talking about, with each of my guests, real-life American culture. This is not some bloated, overproduced mass media conglomerate. Um, this is this isn't even polished. Uh, this is raw. Welcome this to Deep Americana. Today I'll be coming to you from the city of Mays, Kansas, or the outskirts of Wichita, Kansas, interviewing Mr. Dick Nicholson who is not only has knowledge in farming, knowledge in, you know, creative arts, he makes lots of music. Without further ado, let me introduce you to Dick Nicholson. Dick Nicholson? Hello, people. Hello, objects. Yeah. So, I have Dick here. So, Dick, do you, let's start out. Um, can you give me, like, some background to Mays, Kansas, perhaps? It was an aristocracy, small town, rich rule and the poor rule, typical jocular, severe right-wing, racist, scum type town. Now, did you ever encounter any, like, you know, anti-Semitic or, like, people bullying you or, like, trying to kick your ass? Oh, or, yeah, of course. I mean, like, what was it like going to school here? Violent. But, you know, no guns. I mean, so... And kicking. Right, so say that you were, you were going to school there and you came in and you might look ambiguous. Do you think you'd get probably beat up for that? Yeah. Hmm. Did you, I mean, what were your experiences like? Were there a lot of fights or...? Yeah, there was constant fighting. Constant mm -hmm. bullying. I got my first fight in kindergarten. Oh, wow. There's a bully who used to always, like, beat me up and... So I was taught non-violence, and you know, you never, ever, ever, um, you never fight back. That is the worst thing you could ever do. You run or go tell teacher. However, my older cousin said that's bullshit. If you stand down to one bully, you got two tomorrow. You got to nip this in the butt, and you got to kick their ass. I'm of mind to agree with your cousin. And if you at least fight them. Of course, you know, the bullies are cowards, so they don't want to fight. They just want to hit and not be hit. So, merely hitting back. But anyway, my first fight, I won. So, the bullies just wanted opposite. You know, they didn't want opposition. They just wanted to get the high of pushing someone smaller or they someone less They felt very bad about themselves and right. helped their self-esteem. Now, do you, now do you, th you saw that a lot, right? So, oh, yeah. you think that's kind of ingrained into this... this you know, if you will, backwoods culture of that time, right? Oh, absolutely, yeah. You know, um, yeah. Nothing feels so great as the first time you kick some fucker's ass who deserves it. <laughs> right. I made the bully cry, and he ran to teach her well, what I was supposed to do, and right. I got in all kinds of trouble. Right. So what, mo moving into different spectrums here, you know, what was it like to, I mean, this was a thriving farm at one point, right? Mm -hmm. So what was it like growing up on a, on a farm, Dick? It was awesome. It was like, you know, well, it was like the wetlands back then. It was like before Colorado Dam the river, and other factors dried this place out. So it's no longer wetland, so it's super abundant with water. So it used to be wet like swampy here. 
And then, yeah, and then, degree, yeah. well, but then didn't we lose, wasn't a lawsuit in between Kansas and Colorado over that dam, right? We won the lawsuit, and they are like, yeah, whatever, we're not going to do anything, just because you won, so we had to take, take it to court. It right. took about 10, 12 years, and I don't know if that's the entire factor, but certainly the abundance of life is, you know, nothing like it was. I can almost imagine waking up and looking outside, right? And you could probably see deer running around oh, yeah, a yeah. lot more than you can today. Almost every right? morning, yeah. Yeah, man. And, and that's a, for the listeners, uh, that's a beautiful experience to observe nature like that, something that's so delicate that if you breathe, it's gone. Well, yeah. Would that be a good categorization? Yeah, we see that window. There's lots of animals I didn't see later, like wild turkeys. Oh, yeah? But so many animals are gone. I mean, it's just, like just what animals? Out. I think they're called rat snakes, like five foot snakes. Oh no, yeah, no, I used to have one in Oklahoma. Yes. Yeah, I love those things. And uh, no more cottonheads or cottonmouths. And what's the copperhead and cottonmouths? We had those on the farm. Gigantic dragonflies that are no longer around. Just wild chickens. They're really weird. They have these like things on their chest. That when they're scared or threatened, puff out their quick breast. Yeah, 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 yeah. I yeah. mean, you actually looked that up at one point. So, did you ever like help your dad directly, like farming with the fat? Uh, what, what did you guys farm? Like, did you farm cows, chickens? Cows, chickens, pigs. Um, About how much land do you think wheat um, that your parents had? Hmm, I don't even know. I always see the makers. I'm guessing a hundred. No, a lot more than that. 400. Oh, shit. Wow. 400 acres. Something like that. I mean, we got like, you know, like 30 or 40 acres for sale down that. You know, right, right. right. Well, and so that kind, of, that kind of leads me into, let's open that up a little bit. So, but now, okay, so fast forward, can you tell us kind of, you know, the farming has declined. Obviously, nothing's really being farmed. So, like, let's talk about kind of the decline of income and people trying to buy stuff from you guys, you know, did, did, like, so where, when did that start, do you think? Like, the decline on income, what? It's a matter of money. Like, uh, the family farm died, and he was already in trouble in the 70s. Right. By the 80s, it was basically a gone deal because you can't make a living off a farm Unless you have the million dollar combine and with the five thousand dollars. So tires, if you can't keep up with the equipment, you then can't you compete. can't. Well, basically, you're growing something you can't go out and harvest, right? Yeah, we can't. You, know, you can't compete. Basically, you don't have the superior tools. So the new farmers are the millionaire farmers. Right. They kind of corner the market. Yeah, they got the equipment. They can, you know, like well, we use our land to. Right. Out farmers and so how does that work? Do you know uh, leasing your land to other it's farmers? Like a contract, you get certain you, amount of money and whatever you agree on for. So you get a percentage a cut off the top of what they actually make, but no, they get no, the that's majority. Sharecropping. We used to do that. Sharecropping. Oh, is, that's different. Yeah, yeah, it's okay. a different thing. Sharecropping is we got the land, you do the work, and you give us a fair share yeah percentage. Of course that doesn't happen but so what what is the so in sharecropping does the person who owns the land get a bigger profit is that the difference no they get far less okay 60 40 what 40. was the other yeah, but it turns out to be probably less well, what are your, the thumb on a scale you're less. not sharecropping now right no we're leasing now okay so with leasing 
they just give you a flat fee, like yeah, renting it. Yeah, like it's agreed to. Which is far less money, money, huh? Mm, no, I don't know. I'm not even sure. Okay, that's okay. That's it's probably enough. similar. We don't pay tax. You know, we don't even pay. No. Our land doesn't even doing that doesn't even pay taxes. On right. Oh, property wow. taxes. Well, we live in a city now. You know, like a few years ago, right. we were in a county. Well, no, yeah. That's what I was going to get to here. So we pay city. Like it's like having a whole bunch of city lots. You know, mm -hmm. so. Mm -hmm. You know, taxes went up extremely. You know, so you guys are, it's almost like you have 20 houses on the property you're having to pay for, even though they're not there, just due to the sheer size of the property. Yeah. We're which is complete BS. Yeah, yeah. Um, what about this? Uh, I don't remember, no, how long that I've known you, right? But I imagine it's probably close to a decade, wouldn't you say? Yeah. And so when I was first coming out, when I was first coming out to Mr. Nicholson's house here, it was all dirt roads. There was no other houses. There was no. There was two, wasn't there? Or three, maybe. Well, there's houses. There just houses, there was, but there's at least two miles in between them. Then there wasn't that big. You know what I'm getting at is the city uh, has reached out, and now there's like million dollar homes less than a block from yeah. where Dick lives. Can you talk to us a little bit about that? And how you feel about that, honestly? Well, kind of sucks in a way because these things always start the same way. They they make a sand pit, so a bunch of sand, drop down the aquifer, drop down the water levels, so that there's less water available for things in general. So it's bad for the earth. And then they make these. You know, it's better as a condo than it is as a sand pit, I guess. But you know, there's always a lake. You know, it's always well. I, th I think it's they can pull more revenue. Like yeah, yeah, they have a big body of water, so therefore, you know, it's, it's cash. Cha-ching. They find all kinds of artifacts and stuff too. Like, but now, how does that? Before we get into the artifacts, how does that play into what you're able to farm here? Okay. We got a contract with the government to grow prairie grass, so we got to do that because we agreed. By now, how, how does that happen? The idea of it is to reconstitute the soil and make it grow better, which is silly because this is a city now. There's not going to be no. We're going to reconstitute the asphalt. Is what we're going to do. We're going to we're going to spend all these years. It's like nine years, whatever, seven years. Right. Um, we still got like a year left. But yeah, when this land ain't going nowhere but down, it's going to become well, a city. My my question there is, what happens after that year on the prairie grass? Can you grow other stuff? Yeah, we're free to do whatever we want. Yeah. If we do any development, uh -huh. if we walk on it, if we are caught riding all-terrain vehicles on it or anything like that, they can take all the money back for those. Like, you know, I'm not sure if it's seven or nine years, they get all that money back. Seriously? Seriously, so we can't do anything. If we so sell it, land, almost, it sounds like a pigeonhole to me. It sounds like a scam. Mm, Would you well, view it that way or no? I don't know. It's, it's some money, I guess. I don't, I don't, and I don't understand it to it the level that you do. It yeah. helps reduce the cost of the taxes. It doesn't even, once again, doesn't, you know, pay the taxes. It reduces it. I just wish we could have got the fairy flower project. That would have been awesome. What's that about? It's all these native indigenous flowers of Kansas. It yeah, would have, that's that would have been, been like you know. Yeah, prairie grass. grass never did well. By the way, for a while it's like nine foot tall at its peak. It's incredible. I suspend. So that's just basically you're paid to do that to re-nourish the soil. Yeah, like I say, it's pointless because I, I imagine you know that's typical. I mean, that, I don't know of anything happening like that, but that's history of the world is. 
Carolina's of Colorado where you have these hippie communes, like uh-huh. little, like Aspen, Colorado, right. is once a hippie, you know, poor hippies, and then big tourist town regulations and things will force them out. They don't can, no longer can afford to live there, and or you know all that. So then, so yeah, I imagine eventually they would find ways to regulate us out of existence. Right. You know, the farming act. Yeah. Unless you got enough money, I guess you can't really probably keep. Well, is that what it feels like is kind of happening? Oh yeah, well yeah, squeeze that. I mean, already taxes. Well, can you elaborate? Uh, I know that you told me about a possible sale of land, and then you had another neighboring farmer who put his two cents in. Can you tell us a little bit of that? You don't have to. Mm, Well, he was. um, You should go nameless, but. uh, Yeah. Yeah, we had a Russell the land for $120,000. Do you remember how many acres? No. no. That's okay. It's, we don't get that much for acreage here, actually. Well, that land, uh, this land's worth a lot more, but that land don't go for that much. But anyway, yeah, we had the all done, some, you know, it was like, but the thing about contracts is you have a certain amount of time to break it. Ah. And so, my mother, being the nice person she is, told him... You might want to consider not seeding, because that's gone. But they, who did they tell that to? The potential buyer? You well, know that they the the sharecropper who did the land was told that you know there will be no crops to share next year because that land we sold. So he started driving around trying to catch the yeah buyers. the sharecropper was 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 scaring the buyers. Yeah, he um, well, he told them all kinds of stories which turn out not to be true. Like, like what? You can't legally develop on the land, which you can. Then he's telling them that the there land is trash or something. There's a limitation to what you can do on the land, but there's room for houses, for a house anyway. Uh, but there's a water line and there's a power line, which limits what you can do, but there's plenty of room for a house. You know, easily a big-ass house could be in there. Right. So he told them that you can't legally build a house here, even though they, they could. He said, this is a flood zone. Now, it's on the books as a flood zone. The last flood was 1952. Oh, wow. So it's been a while. And so uh, he, he pulled out every scare tactic stop you could yeah, to but, get them not to invest, or what? Yeah, yeah, so we had to buy land, and so they told, well, they told the real estate lady that, we, we're here, you can't develop land. You can't put a house here. You can't do this. You can't do that. Uh, so she was addressing all the so fear mongering that yeah, the sharecropper no, was talking that's about. all lies by right. a competitor who wants to get a cheaper price. And their response was, okay, we believe you, but this guy is friggin' scary. And we don't want an enemy like him who's a psycho. Um, so he basically drove them from wanting to yeah, buy it? Yeah. That actually is probably completely illegal. I'm sure it probably is, yeah. It's horrible. That would have done good things for you guys. Let's get into, uh, let's talk about this. And I always found this fascinating. And I've known uh, Dick for many years. Me and Dick would go, well, why don't you start out about our rock hunting stuff? Oh, yeah. That's fun. Like, yeah, like the dirt road, well, like the road right in front of me now is paved. It used to be dirt. Right. But yeah, I looked for rocks and found arrowheads and spearheads all my life and things like that, and musket balls and buffalo tooth and yeah, I've seen all of these things that it, I've seen the buff or the tooth and the musket balls and it's astonishing. Now, when we're talking about that, I know you had mentioned to me before this interview that you uh, had 
you know, I don't know if you found it or what, but there was a mound that could have been speculated to be a Native American burial site. Can you elaborate a bit on, on that for us? Yeah, those are apparently sand hills, but, um, 1949, a couple of relatives of mine were jogging and they cut across this, um, pasture, cow, cow pasture, and it had these hills. And there's a real bad windstorm, which revealed a mummy. Oh wow! And um, it still had a headdress on. It's sitting upright. So it was a Native American mummy, yeah, or did Native you American guys know? Mummy. Okay. Yeah. Um, and uh, surrounded by arrowheads and spearheads. Probably one time the entire thing. But well, what? Isn't it, and this is pretty close to the river, right? Yeah. It's not too far. Yeah, not too far at all. So it'd be a perfect like reservoir if someone's trying to live. Yeah. Um, so, there's a big fossil hunt from there. The mummy was at Friends University for a while, but it's gone. There's no record of it ever Well, now, do you know for sure, like, who actually ended up owning it? Was it, like, the people developing land, or no, the people was, who owned it? No, it was given it, to the museum, but uh, a friend of mine took archaeology, and right. he talked to a professor and told him about that mummy. So he checked it out, and he said, well, there's no, it's not in record that any of these artifacts exist, or the mummy, but he says that is common. You know, like museums. But why to, Why is that common? Yeah. Because they steal the stuff, and the mummy gets taken. Well, do you do you think it's that it's not only, it, obviously it's stolen, right? But do you think that's to, like, do you think that's to not show discovery or something of that nature, or that it can um, alter the course of I think just some something? guy wanted a mummy. <laughs> so basically somebody wanted to own something off the books that Which could have been a historical <clears throat> reference and value to us normal peons here. Well, I don't think they wanted to hide it, they just wanted to own it, I think. And okay. those artifacts, you know, it's like, it's took them. but anyway, like that, there's a big feeding frenzy, and they found, there's a whole room, I guess, there's hundreds of artifacts they found. That was a those sand hills and my friend showed those grounds. And I still I still think there's something to it being a Native American village or something. Or right, right. Something, but, you know, but he's you know he, he's a leading authority on. In our city, I imagine possibly the same guy your friend talked to has been out there excavating uh, on a personal friend of mine's land, and they found a, a mythological Native American city there. Cahokia. Yeah. Oh yeah. I think so. Um, and so th that's that stuff still is playing out to this day, um, but yeah. But he looked at he Google Earthed it. You know, he told me the address, and he Google Earthed it, <laughs> and he said, from all indications, these are just merely sand hills, and the reason why that mummy would be there is probably he's killed by a buffalo or something, or died while hunting. And the does that make any sense though? That it was sitting up right. Well, he'd be buried in the sand. Oh, hill, okay. Blown okay. away. Okay, I guess. These those sand hills were epic. They were like ten foot high when I was a kid, and I think we there was like remnants of one we climbed on once, maybe. Well, they're like, you know, they're all compacted and s small, but. So you are diabetic. Mm -hmm. Okay. What type of uh, struggle do you go to go through for your medication? I mean, is it an easy process to get medication? Um. No, it's medical mafia. Tell it's, us about that. It's medical mafia in the sense that the med the medicine's good for me. The good, you know, I take what's called pet insulin. Why would you do that? Because it's legal. I can buy it without a doctor's okay. Does it have anything to do with the price? 
Um, well, it's much cheaper. It's like okay. you know, about one fifth, one sixth, so, or less. I mean, it's like do you, need, so do you need a prescription for it? No, no, you can pick it up anytime you want. And yeah, why? Why do you now? Why do you do that? I mean, why wouldn't you go get the other insulin to get the other insulin, which would yeah. be so much better? I used to take two kinds of insulin a night, you know, twenty-four hour dose and a each meal dose. Right. Extremely expensive. Although, if my insurance wasn't too bad, but you know. Is affordable for insurance. The problem is, you can't just have it. You have to see your doctor, and he say, "Okay, you get three months. Come see me in three so months. No insulin." So basically, your doctor is kind of like a drug dealer with it. Yeah, he's like mafia. It's like you, you know, it's nice business you have here. It'd be well, shame if something happened to it. Right, and so so it it becomes a thing like this that okay, they'd come in and say, "Hey, if you don't pay up, we're smashing your windows in." But in turn on this, this is saying, hey, if you don't pay me, you don't get to have what, what you need to live, yeah, right? Yes, exactly, yeah. How do you feel about that? Well, it's, <laughs> I fucking hate it, obviously. It's bullshit. Okay. And it's evil. I mean, it's just... You so know, you, you, I mean, and, and on the, along the lines of what we're talking about, do you believe that you should just, anybody should be able to have access to this? This is not a drug that gets you high. No, it's not a drug that gets but, you But, I mean, high. imagine if you could just go buy it and didn't have all these constraints. Right. But then I wouldn't go get, you know, I don't know if I can do it with insurance. Once again, I'd have to have the doctor's magical script is, because right. otherwise insurance is, won't cover it. Gotcha. Is the, uh, you know... Uh, Without insurance, it would cost me about $180 a week. Wow. How much is it with insurance? Uh, it's probably, I don't, you know, it's been so long since I've bought it. Since I don't have a doctor, I don't know how to pay him. Um, I'm guesstimating now it costs me a three month supply of insulin, probably be about 240 or something like that. Wow. Which is much better than. But what do, what do you average? What? Okay, so with that being said, to get the good stuff, it'd be 240 plus what, a $50 doctor's visit every three months? 250. 250 doctor's After visit? Insurance. No, no, listen, doctor's visit. Mm hmm. 250 bucks? Yeah, that's how much it costs to see the doctor because he's a specialist. You have to pay him 250 bucks? $250, with your and uh, yeah, I get my okay, okay, and he has no interest in me other than. Okay. Oh, okay. Since you came and gave me your money, okay, okay you can survive so, another few okay. months. Let's, uh. So let's get into. Uh. Let's get into creativity, and I'll try to be a guide in talking about that. Um. And let's do this in steps. Okay, let's talk about your paintings. Or let's talk about where did your creativity come from? I mean, not just where it came from, when did it start is what I mean. So when did your creativity start? Uh, farther back in my memory, I was sketching, or you know, a child's version of sketching. <laughs> right. I had like tons of notebooks when I was a kid. So you just probably constantly drew and just kind of experimented. That's, yeah. Yeah, that's the only thing I had, basically. What did, now, what did that evolve into? Well, painting eventually, and, you know, just other kinds of mixed media, photography, music. What, what type of paintings would you work on? I mean, like, what type of subject matter? Mm, a cold sexuality, things like that. My, my idea of spirituality at the time. Cool. I woke up one day, and I was no longer a painter. Uh oh. I mean, look at it overnight. I went to sleep a painter and woke up when I wasn't a painter. And what were you when you woke up? A soon-to-be photographer. And what life, you know, what creative life 
came about through your photography? I mean, what what were your subject matters? Um, what were you? pictures of my friends and right. landscapes and multiple exposures. Yeah, and didn't I you? Had one studio. Yeah, that's awesome. Did you? <laughs> well, I remember you showed me some things like with extra exposure. Yeah, or something. I, Can you tell yeah. us about that? Yeah, it, you know, it's an old analog camera with. Um, had a lens, like you can swivel a lens, so one end's totally black, one half of it, and you can swivel it to the other end. So you take two exposures, so here I am waving, and here's me jumping off a tree or whatever, but in the same, you know, it's two of me, basically, it's a way of doubling things. It sounds amazing. Or multiple exposure, of course, we so, just take different exposures of the, the same picture. So with uh, with that, how, how do you feel about, like, digital creativity? What, what form did that take for you oh i love it actually it's great yeah, hey, it's, did you ever like edit video a little bit it's i'm not too good at video editing and i've done too much and, and i really have a strong enough computer really to handle too much of that but didn't that kind of lead way into like music editing and things of that nature or some something maybe not lead way but hand in hand or something yeah, it's so like so what is your passion in music what is there something you you're wanting to achieve is it just an expression uh, no it's something i love doing <laughs> i think i love music more than anything else and what turns you on to music it's like most universal i think art form it's like, yeah, yeah and, and the way anybody can comprehend it i can enjoy hearing a song right. over and over again i can't really read a book cover to cover over and over again or see a movie like that right Okay. I think it's more spiritual than by anything. Excellent. I know for several years, for a fact, that you ran a website called Infictive or Infictive County. Well, I don't technically run it, but as a main contributor. You're a heavy <laughs> contributor. Can you yes. can you tell us a bit about that? Yeah, that was like uh, an interactive. Started out as a kind of an interactive fiction site. You know, these different people sign up and... Wouldn't it kind of like pick your path to adventure, would you say? Yeah, I started doing that, yeah. I had the goal of, um... When I started doing that, I never actually read one. I was something I always was interested in the idea of. I never actually read a pick your path to adventure until a few years after that. But, uh, you know, concepts of, you know, pretty basic. Here you are and here's your options. So I set out to make the biggest pick your path adventure on the internet. And I thought I had it for quite a while. So I discovered Smutty Sex Romp, which had a whole bunch of mostly teenage contributors. I mean, like like 16, 17 people working on this sucker. So it was like huge. It was like much bigger than mine. So I said, "Fuck it, I'm gonna, I'm gonna beat it. Just you know, just something to do. I mean, something to see if I can." So I spent months and months writing thing after thing on it, and I had it for a while. I had the biggest pick your path adventure in the world. Paid no attention. I don't write on it that much anymore. And smutty sex bump rolls on, and now it's just steamrolled us. And, you know, we're not nothing compared to that in size. Hmm. Yeah, so, other people working on it too. So what a goal! What goals have you achieved through making albums? Haven't you made like a hundred or a thousand, or how many albums have you actually made? About two hundred and forty-six. Wow. And. What bands, I mean, what are the names? I mean, it, don't you have various band names that you work with? I got, I'm in two unbands, I call them. And what would those be? There's Philip K. Nixon, that's the biggest one. With Wes Rue, he's like the editor, 
producer, and I'm one of the people that contributes things to it. And there's Black Circle, which is um, I started Black Circle in '84. Okay. But I'm the only original member. <laughs> but I got my friend Alan, who's a Alien Scrim, who's a guitarist. Now, with all of that stuff, kind of like, uh, not kind of, but your 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 music and your sounds, and, and isn't the, is that that's kind of a mixture between like analog instruments and computer or digital instruments? Yeah. Can you tell us a little bit of that about that process? Well, when I first got my studio going, I was all digital. It's all software sense right. and samplers and stuff like that. Right. But I got more and more into analog, and I read a book called the, uh, what's that book called? It's the History of the Electric Guitar book. I can't remember the name of it, unfortunately, but it talked about how Generation X is the last generation, the last analog generation, meaning that never again shall it be such a mass of young people who play guitar, who play an instrument, you know. Now, why is that? Due to the digital cultures age, change, yeah, digital age, and cultures right. change, and it's a lot of work to learn how to do this stuff. So yeah, we're not. I mean, it's not that millennials don't play guitar. It's right. a very small percentage. You know, it's like well, you don't have to anymore to make a song. You know, you get fruity loops right, or yeah. something like that, and you can have. You know, this is all good, but I love analog and analog, yeah, adds, analog. Life, adds grit. Adds well, don't life. don't you think there's something to understanding, honing, and using? The uh, the medium of creativity that you're using your your hands and making a mark oh, yeah. or a yeah, sound, sure. yeah, yeah. almost like a caveman starting a fire is what you could equate it to now. Mm -hmm. But you know, I, I do. You, do you feel like? Because I, I feel like that you should know these basic concepts before you're thrust into this digital in, in, infinity, infin, infinite, you know, creative loop. Um, yeah, well, yeah, I, I just think that using, you know, I use both, so mm -hmm. I might have some loops and some software sense going, but I think it, just recordings are better with something analog. It don't matter what right. it is, like pigs squealing backwards in the right. background. Well, just like lust more. Something yeah. live, something real like, like, like that just adds... Authenticity texture, or mm, no? life, a texture, and like um, it keeps it somewhat organic. Maybe I don't know. Yeah, yeah as organics. Yeah. How do you feel about like the terms low art versus high art? Obviously, low art being more of a folk art, mm -hmm. and high art. How do you feel about those two terms? Do you feel that they exist? Oh yeah, absolutely. Do you, do you feel like it's a real thing? Oh yeah, and both great. Do you feel like some? Okay, well, elaborate. I don't necessarily want to be Beethoven, but Beethoven's fucking incredible. Um, but would you, okay, with that being said, would you, you know, like uh, a lady, you know, that can play spoons really badass, right? That's mm -hmm. a street woman, right? Versus Beethoven, would you see them, one of them being better than the other? You, you get what I'm saying at all? Yeah, um, no, I don't think so. Right, I don't, I don't see that either. And to me, that's what high and low art are inclined to address in a lot of ways. It's kind of like kitsch versus non-kitsch. 
But I have every bit of respect for the super talented, super slick musician who can do incredible things. Oh yeah, no doubt about it. I just don't think that we should have, I, I don't know, do you think we should have like pedestals? I mean, it, I, I think it should be open. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's like, you know, the thing I like about folk art. See, I, as a redneck, I grew up around lots of like, like my sister, for example, she drew all kinds of really cool sketches. And she never took art class. I always loved the creativity of someone who isn't. That's why I said, like in music, especially, I said, I'm not going to learn chords. I don't want to know conventional chords. I don't want to do anything the way other people do it. Right. And there's extreme limitation, you know, obviously, to this because chords are set up to <coughs> harmonically resonate in certain ways that are interesting and right. danceable, but. Thing is, I don't want a generic snake. I don't want to sound like anybody. I, I want to sound. I want everything to be different. I want to be my own culture. I think that's kind of influenced by J.R.R. Tolkien, the author. Mm -hmm. He was obsessed with the idea of creating. You know, he did so much. He had like he wrote so much language. You know, he did his own languages. He had folk tales and songs and all that stuff. I'm not even that much into him as a writer, but that I was. But you know, as a kid, but that idea stuck with me in grade school and I read his stuff, the idea of the... And also, I kind of feel like I don't come from here. Oh, yeah? I think I come from some other alternative world. According to hard science, there's stacks and stacks and stacks of worlds where you might have a slightly different colored hat, maybe you yeah, have parallel a... parallel realities. Maybe I don't have a soul patch and... Different dimensions, yeah, quantum physics. So, yeah, I Super don't come here. So I'm trying to capture the culture of my people, which are very similar to your people. Extremely similar, but not the same. So my folk art is going to be what I do and blah, blah, blah. And that's like... I just want to be my own culture. Okay. So this has been my Ray Carney's interview with Mr. Dick Nicholson of Mays, Kansas. And we appreciate you listening.